All right, friends, if you want to find your seats, we're going to continue our service here. Thanks for getting to know each other. It's a really important thing for us here at Hope that we uh, actually connect each other to people. Um, and so we're thankful that you're willing to do that uh, and get to know. I heard, hopefully you learned something new maybe about someone's family or maybe considered something new about your own family uh, in, in having to describe it. Uh, my name's Drew. I'm the pastor here at Hope Community Church in Columbia Heights. I'm thankful that you're here, especially if you're new. We're really glad, glad that you're here with us. I have a quick, it's, it's the end of our financial year, our fiscal year. And so every week, the last few weeks, we've been just keeping our, our uh, church family updated on how that's going. And so really quickly here, just quick as, our, uh, as we just have a few weeks left in our, in our, in our year, um, we are part of a location of, of, of Hope Community Church, which is just one of three locations here in the Twin Cities, here in Columbia Heights, and in Lower Town, St. Paul, and in downtown Minneapolis. And so our whole church, our whole uh, big church, is still uh, 185,000. Um, we still need that to reach our goal. And then just here at Hope Heights, we're just under 8,000. We're doing great. You guys are so generous. Uh, it's been encouraging to see that. But just so you all know, and again, if you want to uh, give one time or, or set up reoccurring giving or just want to learn even more about how we think about giving, you can head to our website and learn more about that. All right. Um, a few ways for me, I guess my Kelly already uh, described, competitive would not be a word I'd ever use try to describe our family. Um, but uh, I think one of the things, uh, maybe it sounds generic, but fun is a word we try in our house to, and not just fun for the sake of fun, but enjoying time together. Um, is one of the things that we like to, to do in our home and we're thankful for and having our, few, our two daughters, something we try to find ways to do. Even if something's not very fun, maybe there's ways to still make it fun. I'd say that was one of our, our words. Um, this week, we are continuing our series here that we're doing this summer. Um, and it reminded me, this week we're talking about Abraham. And last week I mentioned, we're not, I'm not gonna make you sing the song, but I'm gonna make you think about the song. Does everyone know the song, the Father Abraham song? This week I did a little research on this song. The father Abraham and many sons, he do like crazy arm <laughs> motions. That's actually not the one, I don't remember what they are. Uh, but I remember working at camp, multiple camps. This was a classic. This was a jam that many kids would request, especially little kids that had lots of fun actions. And I looked it up, I thought, oh, I, I gotta remember the words. I'm not good at lyrics and songs. I just kind of make up words that sound like the words. I'm famous in my house for that. And um, I don't really know any Christmas songs, the words. I just know they're like the jingle for them. And I remember I had to look this up and there are many versions of this song. All of them are very short though. Their father Abraham had many sons, many sons of father Abraham. And I'm one of them and so are you. And then it ends with this phrase that feels like they didn't know what to add. So it says, so let's go praise the Lord, which I guess is a phrase you could add to any kid's song in church at the end. But I remember this song uh, many times teaching this or doing it alongside uh, kids at camp where there'd be a whole room of kids. This was a classic one we do uh, for the beginning of the week because it was one people kind of knew and also was easy to learn. And so it was one that as a staff member and even training staff, you'd say, you have to be so excited and you have to have big motions so that they would see you doing it and they'd want to do it. You have to kind of fake, fake the excitement. Or some people were actually excited, I think, to sing this song. Uh, and then the kids were excited. I remember it though. I was at a camp um, in Iowa we were singing this song and we came to this part where we said, I'm one of them. And in, this, in that camp, you're supposed to point like this picture. You point and you say, so I'm one of them. And then you say, and so are you. And you'd yell that into someone's face because uh, we were worshiping the Lord, you know, of course. And, uh, 
he yelled, and so are you. And I remember we sang the song. And a kid that was in my cabin uh, later, we were talking about this. He said, hey, um, that was fun, yelling and pointing and doing actions. I asked kind of what you, know, what you thought about it. And it was a kid who hadn't grown up in church. I think he came with a friend. Uh, and he said, that was cool. Um, I don't know who this Abraham guy is, but just so you know, he's not my dad. <laughs> uh, hey, good call. Like, that is weird to sing this song. <laughs> that he's my dad and your dad, and you're making us all sing it with actions? What a, what a weird thing to make some kids do in a room. Uh, <laughs> I'll explain to you. There's a whole lot of story and theology behind that short little song that if you don't know, you're walking around telling people that we have the same dad and I don't think we do have the same dad. Today we're talking about Abraham and uh, our, my hope is maybe we clear a little bit of that up. So if you have, feel the same way, I don't think that's my dad. Let's, let's maybe clear that up today on our journey, we are going through a series this summer called The Story of the Bible in 16 Verses. And it's an opportunity for us just to look at some passages in scripture, some moments in the timeline of scripture and understand what's kind of happening. And for us at Hope, it's so important that we don't just know who this Abraham guy was that lived a long time ago, but really what's important about Abraham. Why would we sing a song where we say, he's our father, all of our fathers? That seems strange because we also say God is our father. Like how, what's the deal there with that? Or why is Abraham important? And so we've been looking at this. We've had a few weeks to start our journey and uh, not just look at Abraham, but excited today to even have Abraham remind us of who Jesus is. Because this whole great story of scripture keeps pointing us to Jesus and who he is um, and why he's so good and so important and we love him so much. So uh, that's our hope. Uh, and we still have, uh, if you're interested, we have a PDF online that has all of these, these little chapters and verses. I know some people are using it as a way just to memorize some scripture, even with their kids. They're, they're doing some, using it this summer, just to gather, to kind of gather around these passages and think about what does it mean uh, to see all of scripture, the whole story of scripture, and not just kind of focus on one part. A few questions that we're asking ourselves as we do that is what does this tell us about God? What does it tell us about us as people as we look at scripture? And maybe what does it even tell us about who Jesus is? So let's get after it. Here is our um, story. We have this great kind of short paragraph story that tells us what's happening as we go through scripture. And today we get to add another sentence to our, to our story. God created a kingdom and he is the king, but he made human beings to represent him in that kingdom. Adam and Eve rejected his call, which led to sin and death. But God promised to defeat the serpent through the seed of woman, who is also the seed of Abraham. Through Abraham's family, the covenant blessings would come to the world. And so we've had a little time to stop at creation and see this God who made this very good thing and he made these great people in it, human beings on our stop number two, in his image to represent them, not just to be, but to actually represent them, almost be like statues people would look to and they'd point to this good God. But those people decided to not do that, to represent themselves, to maybe doubt who God was, his intent. And so they turned from him and we call that the fall, kind of chapter three here. And this is where we hear the story of how Eve took a fruit. God asked them to not eat of this one tree and they decided to take the fruit and, and be disobedient and turn from him. And so we have this brokenness that happens in people that we looked at 
just last week. And then God in that same story, in that same moment, he promises though that he will come and that he will make things right. And that even though people have messed these things up or they've kind of broken things and the world seems broken, he will come uh, and he will, he will crush the head of that serpent. And so really a lot of our story now as we move towards the moment where we get to see Jesus born, a lot of our Old Testament as we look through it is gonna to continue to point to this moment. And we get this anticipation of this moment where there's gonna be someone who will come and crush the head of that serpent and put an end to sin and death. And so today we get to Abraham and we get to hear in Genesis 12, this promise that God has brought to him. So that's where we are today. Our stop in Abraham starts in Genesis 12. Uh, and it reads this, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. A lot of bless, blessings in that passage. It's a passage, this is God actually talking to Abram at this point, he hasn't been named Abraham, hasn't got the full name. And he says, hey, I'm gonna make a great nation with you. I'm gonna make this huge family with you and they're gonna be a blessing. I'm gonna bless you and they're gonna be a blessing. This is a passage we like here at Hope to talk about, to be reminded of, of kind of what we're, how we're, what we're created to be. It's people who are first blessed by God and then become blessings to others. We use this, the term overflow a lot here. We like to say we're kind of filled, blessed by who God is and what he's done for us. And then out of that, we get to be blessings to those around us. But how, how do we get to this point? Because our last kind of moment in the story, as we left it, people had sinned and turned from God. And so let's see kind of what God's, people were doing up until this moment that he would greet this man named Abram, soon to be Abraham. Just through a few moments, as we look through Genesis, uh, Adam and Eve have a son, actually two sons, Cain and Abel. Again, they're called to be people who multiply, who grow, who cultivate things. God calls them in Genesis 2 to be people who care for and are ultimately a blessing to the world. And so let's see how well they continue that blessing. He gives them life and breath to, to do what they're created to do, which is to be a blessing, to worship God and be a blessing and bear his image. Well, their kids, Cain and Abel, have some issues, some problems. Cain actually kills his brother. I would say maybe opposite end. If there's a spectrum of blessing to not blessing, he, he moved over here. He actually kills his brother, not being a blessing not being who he was created to be, continuing this kind of cycle, continue kind of being the family of the serpent instead. Continues to seek his own desires of taking of sin. So maybe things get better. Maybe that's just a hiccup in the family line. We see it get real bad then. People just continuing to sin, to turn from God, to, to take what they want, to fulfill their own desires. And... Um, comes to a point where God says, I'm gonna flood the earth. We kind of start over, there's gonna kind of be a recreation, a moment where I'm gonna start over with the people. I'm not gonna wipe them all out. I'm gonna kind of start over with them. And we all know this story, right? Where Noah gathers these animals. This is the photograph from that day on the ark. He puts them all on the ark. And uh, this is so cool, I'm sure it was bananas, not this organized. Uh, but uh, he picks a family though. He doesn't say, I'm gonna wipe all you. He picks one family, Noah and his family. He calls them blameless and he says, I'm gonna kinda start with you. You're almost like a new Adam and Eve. You're gonna, we're gonna figure this out. You can be a blessing. 
and they, uh, they, they get all the animals on the ark, right? We know this. They, they float around for 40 days. At the end, they land, and pretty quickly, we learn that they, too, are still under this curse. There's still this brokenness in them. Noah actually uh, becomes drunk. His sons find him naked in a tent. It doesn't look like blessing through, through the family here. Continue to kind of just see this, right? This brokenness in this cycle. It's probably not hard for us to imagine that, right? Because we still feel that and see that. And there's this great moment where they, people all gather together and they decide to build this great tower together. The Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. They actually say this, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Hear that? Make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we shall be scattered abroad upon the face, over the face of the whole earth. Let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. We're going to build a city. We're going to build a land and we're going to make a name for ourselves. We can do this. Otherwise, we might get scattered all over the earth if we don't do this. That passage actually isn't very long. That story isn't a very long story. It's kind of a a well-known story in scripture. The next thing that happens is that they become scattered around the earth because God comes and says, the point isn't for you to make a name for yourself, for you to, to, to take a land for yourself. You're supposed to be image bearers, right? You're supposed to be these, these things that people look to and go, wow, I want to know the God, the one, the family that they're in. And so God comes and scatters. And in fact, this is where he, he makes all these different languages. So they're not only geographically scattered, they're even by language scattered. They're disconnected. There's division. They're divided. Instead of being one people and one family, they're now divided and not really acting much like family. So this is really important because this moment happens. We're going to build, we're going to build ourselves a city and we're going to make a name for ourselves. And then chronologically in scripture, the next thing we see happen is that God meets this man named Abraham. A friend of mine actually just saying he, he's very passionate about this, that he thinks Abraham may have been at the Tower of Babel, which I don't, I don't think about that much, but historically that could have happened. Abraham may have been there and saw the tower kind of not work and saw the people dispersed. And so when God comes to him and says something like, I'm going to make a great nation, I will bless you, and I will make your name great, it might ring like differently than just it being feeling like a random thing. They all gathered and said, we're going to make our name great. And God says, no, no. And then he comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you a land. Like, you don't even know how good this is going to be. Nothing you could even consider doing. Also interesting, Abraham isn't, uh, Abram, there isn't like a guy who was uh, this like awesome worshiper of God. And he went, I got to pick someone who's just so stellar at this that he's going to knock it out of the park. Abram, we think, was probably a moon worshiper which is different than a God worshiper. It's a moon. If you're unfamiliar, those are different things. Moon worshiper, he's also nomadic. So he didn't, it's interesting, he didn't really have a land. He like roamed around, also didn't have a family. He didn't have kids. And we know in his history for a long time, wanted kids and was unable to have kids. So God picked someone who didn't have land, didn't worship him, 
and also didn't have a family and said, hey, I'm gonna make you someone who has land, who, who worships, is faithful to me, and is gonna have a huge family. It's just interesting. It's cool that God wants to make his one nation and his blessing, his name great, blessing all the people, he says, even in the whole world, all of the earth are gonna be blessed by this person, this man, the moon worshiper who has no family and nowhere, no land, no home. So how is that gonna happen? Well, we, this, is, this is our story, right? Our story of a God who takes people who have nothing. He loves this, right? He loves this story as nothing. It's almost hopeless. It seems uh, improbable. This can't happen. And of course, it's an opportunity for God to show like, yes, I can do these things. And I will do these things through you. Not because you're great, but because I'm great and I get to make my name known, right? We actually get, he like forces Abram to become an image bearer. He says like, you're going to have a life that people are going to look at and they're going to go, wow, I want to worship that God. And it's great when you start at kind of zero because then it's clear I'm the one who built that life. So a moment maybe to just consider in our, in our own lives this. Are you okay that maybe you are kind of a zero and God has made you the person you are? That's, that's really hard to even consider. Because I, I like to work to present myself to God or maybe just people around me. It's pretty great. I like my name to be known, right? I like to build my little towers so that my name can be known. I also like to be a blessing without the source of blessing. I like it when someone goes, man, Drew, he is such a blessing to us. It's, it must be all him. You know, it's like, I go, oh, I'm so good. It's all me. I want to like cut off. I want to be like, don't look at the one who actually makes me a blessing. I just love also to have my name be great. Sometimes it all costs. Whatever it costs, I'll take it, right? So that my name would be great. Sometimes even in a small, I mean, I'm not, I'm not actually building a tower like in my backyard to heavens, but in little conversations, often I'm building little towers. I'm finding myself, how can I make sure my name looks better? Maybe not even great, just good, okay, in that conversation. Maybe even just how I might post something. How, how can my name be great? I want us to be encouraged that Abraham is a man that we can look to because he started uh, not in a place that God went, wow, you're so great, I need you on my team, but I can't wait to use you to show off my goodness and my greatness. So Abraham gets asked by God, he says, I, I want you to go. I want you to be this person who will be kind of the father to this great family. In fact, he takes Abraham out and looks, he looks at the stars and he says, your family's gonna be numbered like the stars. You won't be able to count all the people in my family. To a man who doesn't even have a kid. This is, a, this is pretty incredible. He also then takes Abraham at a point here in, in Genesis 15, which is really important, and makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, I'm going to make this covenant, I'm going to make this vow with your family. He does it kind of in an interesting way that if you just read this passage and weren't aware, you might think this is really weird. It is kind of weird uh, to us, but let's, let's read this account. He has this other moment after he meets Abraham says, so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham, Abram, at this point, still brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut them in half. If you're wondering, the birds were not cut in half. 
but everything. I love that detail. <laughs> then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. See what's happening? This is strange. He says, hey, I want you to bring these animals and we're going to cut them in half. So he does, except for the birds. And he keeps, hey, keep the birds off these things. So now there's like halves of animals laying on the ground. If you picture it's kind of in a line. There's a space between them. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. And they'll be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterwards, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried in a good old place. Good old, (laughs) at a good old age, sorry, good old place. And the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. That was a lot of there. God's just telling him this is what's going to happen, which is actually what happened, right? God's people go and actually are in Egypt and they're slaves there. And then Moses comes and let my people go. And you know, that story is awesome. We'll get there. Uh, and they're, they're rescued and they go through the Red Sea. But he's saying, hey, it's going to be dark for, it's going to be hard for a while for your people, for my family here. Um, then this is the part I want you to see. Remember, there's still halves of animals on the ground. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land. What is going on? So if you can picture this, there's halves of animals on the sides. Abram is asleep. And then this smoking pot and this fire, like, hovers or go through the middle of these animals. And they suddenly make a covenant. We don't do this. We don't have a, a thing that I assume most of you don't do this. Uh, this isn't like a Father's Day tradition that you have animals and you walk through it. This would have meant a lot though at that moment. This was a tradition that was, that was, uh, uh, that was carried culturally that they would cut animals in half. They'd be dead. And two people would make a covenant. So they, they'd come together and make a vow that they would promise to do this thing, to be faithful to each other through whatever this thing is, this, this connection they have. And they'd walk together between these dead animals to make this covenant. It, it was a symbol for them to say, if we break this covenant, we're going to end up like these animals. This is a covenant till death, till death do us part. You've heard that language, probably right, at a wedding. It's one of the few times kind of in our lives that we make like a public covenant with someone where we say, I'm vowing to you that till death do us part. We don't, I haven't been to any weddings that have done this, but I guess <laughs> no weddings with animals, dead animals, denials. I guess all of us are technically when we're at a wedding, <laughs> you represent half of an animal. Think about that next time at a wedding. It's very sweet. <laughs> uh, but they had this moment where this, this would happen. So God here, what is he doing? God's walking through without Abram. He's vowing to be faithful until death in this relationship with him. Hey, I'm going to make sure that you are blessed. I'm going to make sure that, that your name is great because uh, my name will be great. I'm not leaving you, Abram. But he knows. He knows he's, Abram's not going to be. He knows that his people are going to lie and they're going to cheat and they're going to turn from God and they're not going to represent him. 
They're going to be broken and cursed as they have been. I love this. God says, but I'm still going to walk through this and be faithful to you. I will not leave you or forsake you. This is an incredible moment in scripture. He says, I'm not going anywhere. Even if you try to go somewhere, I'm still with you. I'm still going to pursue you and run after you. I'm making a covenant till death for us. And so this really powerful, cool moment happens in Abram's life. And then some really great things happen or interesting things happen in Abraham's family. Let's look just at some of his family history to see how this family comes about. You may have heard the story of his son, Isaac. After many, many years, Abraham is almost 100 years old. He finally has a son with his wife, Sarah. His name is Isaac. There's a moment God says, I want to show, see your faithfulness to me. Would you even bring your son to a mountain and sacrifice your son for me? Is he that important? Is it, because shows off Abraham's faith and he brings him to the mountain and Abraham knows like God's going to do something. He's, he, he's, he's got me here. He, he knows what he's doing. And sure enough, God does. He, he shows up with a ram. There's a ram in the thicket and uh, this, the ram gets sacrificed. An angel says, no, no, you're not going to sacrifice your son, but the ram instead. Isaac goes on then to have a son, uh, a few sons. He has Jacob. Jacob, his son, manipulates his brother Esau into trading his birthright as the older brother for a hot bowl of soup which seems wild, but that's how it works. And then he tricks his blind father, who's old, into blessing him with the birthright. So he kind of steals the birthright, the inheritance. In fact, he puts the story as he puts hair on his arms so that his brother, who was hairier than him, uh, his, his dad would think it was him. He's like, oh, you must be Esau because you have hairy arms. <laughs> it's a wild way to see, uh, to know if it's your son. He wants the inheritance. He's willing to do whatever it takes to get that inheritance this is an interesting family history, and it goes on. That son goes on to have many sons, 12 sons, and one of those sons is Joseph, and the other brothers do not like Joseph. Joseph had a cool Technicolor dream coat, if you've heard that story. Um, Joseph uh, is, un is not liked by his brothers, partially because he has this dream where he says, someday I will have authority over you. And as a brother, you would hate that, right? Even if it was just a dream, You'd say like, good, good luck there, bud. And so his brothers actually throw him to a well to die and then eventually sell him into slavery, leaving him for dead. And then he's uh, sold to these people who then he ends up becoming uh, uh, friends or becoming under the Pharaoh's rule. And then the Pharaoh actually loves that he, he's given the Pharaoh dreams. He's helping the Pharaoh. He becomes a powerful person in the kingdom. In fact, like second in command. He goes from almost dying in a well, being sold into slavery, to now being second in command to the Pharaoh. And eventually his family, this is the cool, like crazy twist at the end of the story, his family ends up having to come to Egypt and they find their brother in charge. The one they thought they left for dead or into slavery. And then Joseph shows this great mercy on them. And says, well, don't, don't kill them. And then that family, that is God's family becomes this family in Egypt. She eventually falls out of favor with the leaders and become slaves there. And that's the story we see then as picks up with Moses in there. But Joseph has this great story of showing great mercy even from a pretty broken family that tries to kill him. So in all this, why would Abraham be the one we sing a song about? Why, why Father Abraham? Why many sons? 
Because right now it looks like his family's doing the same thing that his family did before him. Looks like the same thing that God's family has done for a long, long time. Turned towards themselves, figured out how they can get stuff for themselves, whether it's an inheritance, land, a name. Well, I think Galatians clears this up for us as we look to Jesus. This is where we get to look to who Jesus is and why he's so important, why, why uh, this father Abraham really points us to the one known as Jesus. So in Galatians 3, we hear this. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. So in Galatians, he's explaining, like, it's so important to understand this faith, We're putting faith in the work of Jesus, what he's done is what makes us part of the family. He says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. So it's actually saying not just Jewish people, ethnically, but all people, even people who are not Jewish, by faith are justified. This is, this is, this is Abraham's family. Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. So he's saying the gospel was told to Abraham. That moment we saw so, so many years ago when God says all nations will be blessed through you is God saying, I'm gonna send Jesus. He's gonna die on a cross. He's gonna destroy the curse and sin and death. I'm gonna bless you through Jesus. That, isn't that incredible? He's like telling Abraham this good news of the gospel way back in Genesis 12. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This, this is incredible. So this Abraham moment, he's probably thinking, well, God's gonna like do great things and make, give me land. He's gonna do great things for me so people know who I am. God's saying, I'm gonna bless you. You don't even understand fully what that means. It's gonna be Jesus. I'm gonna come down and I'm gonna rescue you so my family could finally stop this curse could stop, right? For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As is written, curses everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse everyone who's hung on a pole. So what's going on there? He's saying there's this law. We're actually gonna get to this. It's one of our stops in a few weeks. This law that was given, and it, if you can abide by all the law, then there's life. But we can't. The law helps us see you can't do it. It helps us see Abraham's family's not gonna do it. They're, they're not the blessing. God is the blessing to them, and then they become a blessing because of what God has done. So saying Christ came and redeemed us so that we now can be a blessing. The curse can be gone because he himself becomes the curse that was overtaking us so that we could be rid of that. Ultimately, it kind of gets summed up here. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. What's this telling us? It's telling us that Isaac who walked up a hill with wood on his back and a ram was sacrificed in his place. It's telling us that there was one who came, a son who walked up a hill with wood on his back and didn't have a ram sacrificed place. He himself was the ram, was the lamb who was sacrificed so that we could have life. It tells us that Jacob who cheated his way into a birthright, uh, 
has a better Jacob. We have a Jesus who made a way for us with his death and resurrection so that we do have a birthright. We have an inheritance. We're heirs to the king of the universe because of the work of Jesus. Jesus faces death and makes a way for us to have a birthright. And not just some people who are born as Jewish people, but all people now have a way into Abraham's family through Jesus. Like all the stars in the sky, so many people in his family. And we're reminded that Joseph, who was left for dead, who was then lifted up, who then had mercy on those who should have had death put on them, but instead gives them life, is just a picture of this Jesus who comes, not just left for dead, but is killed and dies, but then is lifted up, raised from the grave, seated at the right hand of God, and gives mercy to us as we come to him. He should say, no, you're sinners. You deserve death. And instead he shows great mercy to us and welcomes us into the family. And so Christ has come to redeem us. So when Abraham is told, I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna make your name known, I'm gonna give you land. In that moment, can you imagine if he, if he understood his head would have exploded? <laughs> many, many years from then, Christ would come and die and rise and he would ascend to heaven and be in his throne. And now we have the opportunity to have this family that has land, which is called heaven. And we have family, which is our heir. We have a name, and we're called sons and daughters of the Most High. This is such good news. All from that moment. And so when we say Father Abraham had many sons and daughters, he had a huge family, it's true. And I am one of them, and so are you, because of the work that Christ has done. My dad's name is not Abraham, it's Al. Um, it's close, I guess. But my heavenly father, my truest, the, the most true reality in my life is all of you and we're family and it's true. So I, this week I've been thinking a lot about this and this word blessing, because it's all over this passage on this stop. It's made me think also this week as I've been thinking a lot about Juneteenth. Today is Juneteenth. If you're unaware or if you are aware, it's a great uh, holiday that is officially a holiday in, in the U.S. now. It's the day that we celebrate the emancipation of enslaved people. And it's the day that the last enslaved people in Texas heard the news that they were free. It's this incredible moment um, that even if you're not uh, African-American descent, um, you still can celebrate because it's a day where we celebrate people who are enslaved being freed, which is really a pretty huge deal for us in the church. And so I've been, I've been reading about Juneteenth and that moment in history. Um, I watched this great documentary. I sent it out to you if you get our weekly update this week. And I, and I want to just be encouraged. Those are people that I've been thinking, how do they read a passage where it says, you'll be blessed. And then they don't, I assume, feel very blessed. I don't feel very blessed some days. And then if you consider that moment, if you lived in 1863 uh, and you were uh, on a plantation and you're forced into slavery, would you say you're blessed? Even if you follow Jesus, believe? And so actually through just reading about Juneteenth this week, I have some moments that I've been really blessed by our, by our brothers and sisters in the black community, just in the way that they've shared the history of those people. And that is a word that they have called themselves, not because of the situation they're in, being enslaved is not a blessing. It's, it's a curse, it's, it's evil but they could still consider themselves blessed 
and in God's family. And it's really what I think we can be encouraged by. So I want to encourage you. Just a few people that have encouraged me this week. I hope this would be a blessing to us as our brothers and sisters kind of bear the image of God to us in their blessing as we kind of wrap up our time here. Just from Judith. This is, um, uh, I don't know how to say his first name, Yaki uh, Smith. Uh, is the director of this documentary. And he says, this is when he's asked, why would this be important? He says, you can't tell the story of Juneteenth without faith playing a prominent role because faith is central to the narrative. It was in the songs that were sung. It was the heart of everyone who escaped a plantation and ran towards freedom. It's always been the one thing that the oppressed had access to that no one could take from them. Faith for black peoples was, is, and will always be the unspoken language of freedom and survival. It is the Juneteenth story. Um, and then we have Dr. Albert Ratito. I want to say Ratatouille because that sounds cool. Or Ra- Roboto, probably not Dr. Roboto. Uh, he's, he's, a, he, he's an incredible man. He's one of the first people to really uh, investigate and really develop history of these people in this time and specifically the religion of black people, specifically in our country, uh, and his incredible stuff he writes just to see this powerful, faithful group of people who were uh, so hurt uh, and so oppressed and still came out with this strong, strong faith and passion for Jesus. He says, slaves believed that God had acted, was acting, and would continue to act within human history and within their own particular history as a particular people. Just as long ago, he had acted on behalf of another chosen people, biblical Israel. Moreover, slave religion had its this worldly impact. I love the phrase they use. Like right now here, their faith impacted them right here, right now. Not only leading some slave to acts of external rebellion, their faith actually overflowed into them fighting against slavery, but also in helping slaves to assert and maintain a sense of personal value, even in ultimate worth. So, I mean, I can't imagine, but to be someone who's told they're literally not as valuable as someone else and treated that way day after day after day after day, to have something that says, no, you have value and no one can touch it. That some slaves maintain their identity as persons despite a system bent on reducing them to a subhuman level was certainly due in part to their religious life. This is a story you hear over and over and over is that this faith in Christ being in the family is what, is what pulled us through. And this is why I just want to leave us and be encouraged. This is a, a, a piece out of a sermon that was given by a slave preacher that don't have a name to it somewhere within this decade. But the slaves would, would, uh, were allowed to sometimes, but often would secretly have to meet to worship, willing to risk their life so they could secretly go. At times they would go uh, deep into the woods at night when everyone was asleep and they'd gather like as close as they could together and someone would sit in the middle and they'd whisper a sermon. They'd, they'd open scripture and whisper a sermon just so they could hear the message and be reminded of the gospel. Is that incredible? I have trouble like getting out of bed just to drink coffee here sometimes <laughs> with y'all. And these people are like willing to risk. I love it. This is a little expert that I, that I was really encouraged by this week. This is from a sermon um, in a slave church. Bollocks couldn't do it. He's talking about how are we rescued? How are we saved? How do we become family? Abraham's family. Bollocks couldn't do it. Heifers couldn't do it. The blood of doves couldn't do it. But in heaven, for thousands and thousands of years, the son was saying to the father, put up a soul, put up a soul, prepare me a body, and I'll go meet a justice on Calvary's brow. You hear that? 
Can you imagine? What an image. Christ saying, send me down. I'm going to rescue my people. Send me down. I will take the raft so that they can be family. Let's be encouraged by this today, friends. What a blessing from, from brothers and sisters. We are family, right? He's my father and he's your father too because of what Christ has done. I'm going to invite our worship team up so we can have an opportunity to sing and worship Jesus together. Um, just a reminder here as we journey through these steps, we see God create, we see hum, he makes human beings to bear his image and that does not go well. We stop bearing image, we start bearing our own image. He promises redemption and we start seeing glimpses of that good gospel as we see Abraham promised the earth would be blessed through his family and his great, 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 great grandson, Jesus. Up next, next week we get to dive a little more into that family and hear about Judah and the line of Judah, the king. A couple of things to consider here as we take some time to reflect. We like here at Hope to reflect on uh, what the gospel is, this good news that Christ has come to rescue us. We have some opportunities out in the hallway. We have communion. You can take um, communion out in the hall. We can't, we're not supposed to have food or beverage in the room. So we head out there. There's tables there. There's also people in the back of the room who would love to pray for you. So if you just need prayer for anything, they would, they're there and they want to pray for you. So please stop and allow them to pray for you and care for you in that way. And also our worship team will be uh, leading us in some songs so we can just sing out this good news to this good God. Let me pray for us quick as we continue. Lord, thank you for your goodness that you would bless us in this way, that we continue to turn from you and you continue to be faithful to us. That you took that covenant seriously and you've not left us and you came and took the justice on Calvary. That you died so that we would have life. I pray as we sing and, and worship as a family, we would uh, just be encouraged by that good, good news that we are family and that you're with us. Amen.